Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Chapter 1, verse 19 through 27 is where we're going to be. And so if you've got your Bibles, flip to James. We've been walking through this book. Uh, we started it literally the first Sunday or maybe the second Sunday. of. We've been in it for like maybe five weeks, and we are just now wrapping up chapter 1 because that's how we do. Uh, we're going to preach God's Word, and we're going to go at the pace at which God's Word goes. Uh, James actually picks up the pace a little bit when you get into the later chapters, so uh, we won't spend five weeks in every chapter. But this is so good and so rich. Um, here's a, here, While you're flipping there, I want to tell you a genuine, genuine story from my morning. I was, and I shared this at the nine o'clock service, I was honestly super flustered this morning. Um, so my six-year-old, uh, I was getting texts this morning. I get into the building here super early, and so I left before anybody woken up uh, at my house. And, uh, and, and my son, Miles, he's my youngest, he's six, he was super sick yesterday, and he just had some stuff going on, and we were trying to keep an eye on it, and we didn't know what was going on. Well, my phone was blowing up this morning because he woke up, and it was, things were really bad, and so Danielle took my youngest to urgent care this morning, and so I'm like kind of prepping for the sermon, and, and it was during the third song of the first service at nine o'clock that she texted me. It was like, all the results came back. He's good. He's fine. They are giving us some medicine. They're sending us away. Everything's good. Miles is good. Um, but I was honestly really flustered all morning because I was like, all right, one of you guys going to have to get up and preach this because I'm going to go be with my son. And so I would have just, just kind of casted lots and one of y'all would have to preach it. And I was ready to get out. And I was just flustered. And then sitting there with the doctors and, and my wife is texting me and she's, she's obviously flustered. She's a great mom. Um, the doctors run tests and they do some stuff and they, and they, and they look at some results and all of those things and they're able to diagnose, oh, this is what's wrong. And this is what's wrong. And praise God, in our case with Miles, it wasn't a big deal. And now he's home and he's fine. And she sent me a really cute picture of him, giving him a thumbs up. And he's got a big smile on his face. So he's feeling good now. He's going to play video games with his brother. Um, but, but, right, the doctors see something wrong. They diagnose it. And then they offer a solution. Oh, here's what's going on. It was this. Pick up this medicine at CVS on your way home. Take this twice a day. He's going to be fine. Here's what happens. That's what this is, right? For us, the word of God, we believe the word of God is this, this thing that the Holy Spirit has inspired and uses for those who are in Christ as in a lot of ways, a diagnosis, right? It shows us who God is and how we should accurately respond. It shows us who we are and how we need to align our life differently or walk in a certain way or where our identity comes from. It, it shows us how we are to live. And in so many ways, it is this mirror, this diagnosis that shows us what's up and how to, and how to tweak that. James is full of wisdom, right? I, I think of James, and it's been referred to by other scholars and commentaries of, of it's these, you know, pearls on a string, right? And the way James writes is he's got kind of this wisdom nugget, and then here's this other little pearl of wisdom, and this other little pearl of wisdom, and that's what we're going to see here in these passages. It's going to move pretty quick, one after the other. We're going to see this pearl of wisdom, and then what's going to happen, and where we're going this morning, is then we're going to slide into verses 22 through 25, which is this deep challenge, of how James wants us to handle all the wisdom of Scripture. And we're going to spend a good amount of time with some of the hang-ups of why we have a hard time 
And then we're going to see what that might look like if we actually apply that in our life. So verse 19 is where we are of chapter 1. This is what he says. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So let's stop right here. So this is what I'm talking about. This is just a pearl of really practical wisdom that James is laying out for us, right? Um, it, James has often been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, right? We've talked a lot about wisdom even in this book so far in chapter 1. And here is this immensely practical challenge to be, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And like all biblical wisdom, that's really easier said than done. And, and this is wisdom and truth that is so hard for us to apply because, for one, we're, we're flawed, but also the culture that we live in is a highly reactionary culture. Right? The culture that you live in, that I live in, I mean, is built on instantaneous reaction. I mean, you have so many things in your life, even just on social media, if we just take that, or, or just the clickbait of our world that is looking to push buttons, right? To, to push buttons, to, to push something that's going to give you the urge of, oh, I need to buy this, right? My life is incomplete until I buy this, or, oh, this is fired up, or, oh, wait, Khloe Kardashian is doing what? Like, there's so many random just junk in our life that constantly pop up that's mean, meaningless, but also we live in a culture where any event that happens we live in a society that says man first one to get an opinion out there quickest and loudest and most polarizing is going to get the most momentum behind it and so we live in this culture that is not slow to speak we live in a culture that is just the opposite and would even encourage you guys as young adults man if you are slow to the game then you're gonna miss out um, I mean literally the term trigger warning is a pretty common term in the vernacular of, of most young adults, and yet 10 years ago that wasn't really a, a term. Um, people got triggered, but now it is just a part of our common vernacular. So this is so practical because maybe, like me, and I feel this way at times, I feel out of control at times with my emotions, right? There's certain things that if somebody says to me or does, or certain things that I see, that it just triggers an emotion that I feel like, man, I just, I want to show that person how wrong they are or how crazy, or how dumb that is, or you, you name it, whether it's trivial or serious, our reactions, certainly mine, can come really quickly. And here, God's word is saying, slow to speak, quick to hear, really practical. And he doesn't say quick to listen. He says quick to hear, slow to speak, allowing us to process in a way that's slow and manages our anger, which verse 20 says that anger is not what's going to produce what we're called to produce as Christians, right? This is this beautifully practical wisdom because this is our creator diagnosing us, knowing us, looking at the lab results and saying like, oh, yeah, there is an anger issue. There's issues here. There, there's things that come out when you are squeezed. And here's real practical wisdom of how to walk in a different way. This is manual for how to navigate life to be the most functional and to be the most fruitful. Listen, you have a choice. You all walked into this room by choice. You have a choice to live out God's wisdom in your life, to take God's wisdom, to take the pearls on the strand of God's word and to apply them and to be spared pain and to be spared hurt and emptiness 
at times and to live a life that functions and brings peace and health to you or to live for you and to follow impulses and instinct and see where that gets you, which ultimately will be get you lost. James is urging us to do the former. He's urging us, he's urging followers of Jesus, he's urging his brothers and sisters in Christ, be slow to speak, be quick to hear. And doing those things, it's gonna produce a slowerness to your anger, which is just gonna sabotage things. He even says there, the next verse, verse 21, therefore put away, right? therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, receive and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's so much in even just verse 21, but I, I want us to look at this idea of, of James is saying, okay, so put away the bad, right? Put away the, this wickedness in your life, but receive the word, right? And that word he uses for receive, the original Greek word he uses is a word that he is used often in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses that same word when he's talking about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. So in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul is telling Christians how to live their life in the battlefield of just Christianity because there's just stuff that you're going to have to face and battle. And so he's talking about this armor of God and he uses that same word to receive the helmet of salvation, to receive the breastplate of righteousness, to receive the, the sword, right, of the spirit. All of these things are that same word to receive, to take those things. And that's the same word that James uses here, receive God's word. Like, like you'd put on armor, like you'd take the helmet and put it on because you knew you needed it for the battle you were walking into. James is saying you have got to receive God's word in that same way. Our first action as followers of Christ is to receive God's word, right? The word of God, the truth that they were taught here in James. But there's more because this isn't just a passive, um, a passive quiet time that's encouraged, right? What, what James is not just saying is like, hey, receive it, like have a good passive quiet time. Um, he, he really is saying there is a very much active thing that should happen as we receive God's word. Um, here, here comes what I think is one of the most important applications that James gives, verse 22 through 25. And we're going to dig down um, into this passage really for, for most of the rest of our time here. Look what he says. Don't miss this. As we've received, he then says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is such an important point that really applies not just to how we see the book of James, but really how we see all of Scripture, how we are to see and handle Scripture. We are to see, receive God's word, and then be doers like a man who looks in the mirror and, and, and hopefully doesn't forget what he looks like. You are all a room of beautiful people. You are. Way to go. Um, you most likely... From the time you woke up this morning, right, and you rolled out of bed this morning, 
and your hair was all crazy and you had eye gunk, you know, in, your eye, in the corner of your eye and you were all disheveled this morning. From the time that you walked into this room now looking like a bunch of models, something happened. And I would imagine at least a part of it. Maybe there's a couple of guys in here who are exceptions. But for the most part, all of you stood before a mirror at some point today. You looked in a mirror and you said, oh, that's what I look like right now. Okay, I got some work to do. And then you did some work and here you are. Good job. Way to go. This is what this is saying, right? How crazy would it be if instead you woke up and, or you, you know, after dinner, you, you know, go to the bathroom and you're washing your hands and you see this massive piece of food in between your teeth and you're on a hot date, massive like piece of broccoli in between your teeth and you see it and you're like, oh, okay, cool. And you just leave the mirror and don't change anything and just go on throughout your date and that'll be the last date you have with that person, most likely. But you would think of that, you'd be like, oh, how foolish. You saw it. You saw the reflection. You saw the diagnosis. You saw the next step of what you need to do. And then you just, anyway, went on forgetting it, self-deceived, forgetting what you even saw in the mirror. That's what's happening here. This is a warning, right? All of this, God's word, right, that was given to the people of of here in, in, the Old, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, that God, has spoke, that God has spoken through Christ, through his apostles, now through his word that his Holy Spirit has revealed to us and given us, this is this mirror, this biblical truth. And we have a choice of whether we get to take his truth, his word, and be effective with it or be ineffective with it. Living it out or just forgetting what it says and living for ourselves. Being a doer of the word is this idea that we are to be obedient to this, to who it says our God is and what the appropriate way to respond to this is who he says. There's a natural, correct way to respond when, when the mirror shows us that, when God's word shows us who he is, when it shows us who we are, how we align with that, how we find joy and peace in certain areas, but also we see areas of correction. We see areas of of comfort in where our identity is if we're in Christ. We also see loving correction and discipleship there. Um, How I'm to live, all of those things is this idea of being a doer, being obedient to where God's word leads me. This is happening in our life. We hear and we don't do. I do this personally all the time just to out myself um, I'm married to an incredible woman, Danielle. Some of you know her. She's amazing. She is the greatest. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with patience because she married me, filled with grace. She's partially blind. I'm just kidding. She's not. Um, but she is married to me. Um, and, uh, and she's this awesome, awesome mom. And, and she's a teacher and wife. And, and I do some chores around the house. But that, that amazing woman runs the show at our house. Um, but one of my chores, and rightfully so, is I am in charge of trash at the Fuquay house. Um, we have a trash can and we have a recycling bin, and it has almost become this game to see how high I can get the recycling bin because it's in the corner of our kitchen, and so there's a wall on two sides of it, which means I can stack recyclables incredibly high in that thing. Um, but nonetheless, it's mine to take out. And so there are times, this happens sadly, this is an issue, we're working on it, but it sadly happens more often than I like, where Danielle says, hey, will you take out the trash? And she, does, she doesn't nag me, and I, I genuinely want to. I mean, she does so much for our family. I'm like, yes, definitely, I will take it out. I'm just doing something right now, but then I'm on it, right? My intentions are really good. I'm not blowing her off. She's not being naggy. I want to take out the trash. She asked me. My response is genuine. Yes, of course I will. 
I will definitely take out the trash. And then I remember two days later, oh, the trash cans are empty. Oh, I was supposed to do that. She did that. I, did, I totally forgot. And so one of the things that this passage does, right, we all do that, right? We say that this passage wrecks the idea of, well, but my intentions are good. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to follow the Lord, and I want to do that. I want to be obedient. I'm going to be a doer of the word. My intentions are good. I just, ha- I, made some, I made some mistakes last weekend. I made some mistakes in, in that area or in this area, but I got good intentions of I want to follow him. I, I love you. He loves you. There is so much grace for the mistakes we all make, but this passage is massively convicting because it says, I don't care about your intentions. James says, you're either a doer of the word or you're not a doer of the word. It doesn't have anything to do with, well, I really want to be, are you a doer of the word? And I think there's several things that in my growth and and immaturity at times of of these walls that I've had to break down, some principles that I want to walk us through biblically and I'll tie them to this passage and some other passages in the New Testament of why don't we? What are some of the ways, what are some of the reasons why this isn't happening more so in our life, that we're not being doers. I want to walk you through kind of four biblical, really application points, but they're principles. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to choose hearing the Bible over being stirred by passions. Choose this as you say, I want to live out this challenge, exhortation from God's word to be a doer, not just a hearer. Here's the Bible. Here's a great podcast. Here's a great sermon. Reads my Bible in a quiet time goes on and doesn't apply. I want to be somebody who applies. Well, I want to start with, are we hearing from the right source? And I think this is something really relevant to certainly me and how I'm wired. And I think specifically uh, this generation of, of what's coming up is, is really the starting place for us is, are we even hearing? Right? We've all got preferences, right? We've got preferences of, I like when that guy preaches. I like this sermon, like these churches. I like this music. I like, we all have those preferences, um, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong or evil about those things. Um, but there's definitely potential that you're walking into a trap as you lead your spiritual life and start to listen based on your preferences. Um, I, I love hearing from that source. But the question is not, do you like this person or that person or this book of the Bible or, or this podcast? The question is, are you living it out? The question is, are you living it out? And so instead of starting with the question of, do I like this preacher or this podcast or this church? I want you to ask the question as a young adult, are they preaching God's word, right? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Or am I going to places and finding God's word, but really what I'm attracted to is how it made me feel. And that is, can be really dangerous and can be really unbalanced. And that's coming from a guy who I would argue is pretty emotional. Like, I get teased a lot for being a pretty emotional guy, right? I cry a lot. It's embarrassing. But I do, right? Like, I'm an emotional person. I think there's, we're not embarrassed about emotion. It's good to have passion and emotion. But is that the meat that we're looking and listening to as hearers of God's word? And I think that's really dangerous. It's part of this reason that I'm, I, I'm worried and I'm leery of people who are just jumping from one emotional service to the next, and being in vocational ministry for 20 years, specifically walking with college and young adults, I've watched so many college and young adults say, man, this is really where I feel emotional. This is really where I feel close to God. And this is really where I feel motivated to follow Jesus. And eventually that wanes, and I need to find something else to produce that feeling. And we didn't build the muscle of actually hearing 
from God's word. Instead, we built the muscle of, I'm gonna chase after what stirs my passions. And eventually, that's going to walk you into a trap. I, I tell you that with caution. I tell you that with love. Um, I don't disparage emotion. There should be passion tied to our Christian life, um, but that is gonna be key. It says there in verse 23, looks intently, right, at the word of God looks into the perfect law of liberty in verse 25 looking at the gospel this is the mirror we need hey you don't need me you need god's word you don't need this awesome podcast they might be great and they might be good for seasons but it's not about this guy or this voice or this emotion or this style it's about his word and do we know how to handle it and are we drawn to it is this identity forming thing the thing that we're sitting under looking into a mirror and living it out. Second thing is this. Second kind of principle or application point is is this. Why I might not be a a doer and an encouragement to help us be doers is that remember that the Christian life is to be lived, not just learned. All right? The Christian life is to be lived, not just learned. Let me um, tell you what I mean by that. The Christian life is sinners, like myself. It's sinners being changed and being shaped by Jesus and for Jesus. That's the Christian life. It's a bunch of, I mean, Demi said it, Nathan said it, I've said it on this stage. We're not up here pretending that we have arrived. We are admitting the Christian life is broken people who are being transformed, who are being restored and healed. Praise God, there is a trajectory in, in my life yet to arrive, but it is about sinners being changed and shaped by Jesus and for Jesus and for his glory And that's the Christian life, right? Um, And yet, so often, we turn it into Christianity. I got to learn all these things, right? It's about Bible study. It's about what I know. Um, There's a parable in Matthew 13. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. But in Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable of, of of a planter that throws out seeds, and the seeds fall on these different soils. Some of them fall on the, on the path. And on the path, you know, birds just come and they just eat up those seeds and nothing grows from it. Other seeds fall in thorny areas and they grow, but the other thorns just snuff the life out of them. Some grow in rocky areas, in which case the roots are really shallow. So it springs up. It looks like it's got growth. But the reality is those roots are super shallow because it's rocky ground. Sun comes out, plants die, nothing grows. But then he says, man, there's a soil that's just good soil. And that good soil, roots grow deep, plants, there's change, there's life, all of those things. And, and Jesus even interprets his own parable in Matthew 13 by saying, hey, those seeds are the word of God. He, he says that is the word of God. Like I, The word of God is going, and he's saying, what is the soil of your heart? How are you receiving it? Right? It ties directly here to what James is saying. The word of God, I'm receiving it, but am I actually, is it actually taking root Is it actually growing in my life? Is it actually producing change in my life? Or is it just just the word of God, just something I'm learning? It's not actually producing change. I'm not actually living it out. There's lots of people who were really close to Jesus, like walked closely. I mean, crowds that followed Jesus that had just, I mean, they were walking with him. They were hearing everything he had to say that just disappeared and fell away when things got rough. I mean, Judas is somebody I I think about as, Judas was a disciple of Jesus. Three years, this guy is eating and sleeping next to and talking with and watching Jesus do miracle after miracle. I mean, Judas was as close to Jesus as anyone else 
in the world for that three-year period of time. He's close to Christ, and yet his roots weren't deep. I mean, that, the word of God, the living and active word of God who walked our earth in the person of Jesus Christ wasn't enough. He didn't take root. He wasn't a doer. He rebelled. He, he, he betrayed Jesus. But Jesus isn't looking for a fan club. Right? Christianity is not the idea of Sunday mornings and worship is not. We need to give Jesus a fan club. He's not looking at it. He's looking for followers and doers. Now, it doesn't mean stop learning. You should continue to learn. Discipleship project that Nathan talked about, if you are in, you're going to get a crash course in half a semester of the entire narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That should make your mouth water a little bit to be like, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to have, you're going to walk away. If you come to the discipleship project, you're going to walk away in six or seven or eight weeks or however long it is with an entire crash course to say, I understand the narrative now of Scripture something that you can then take with you the rest of your life to say, I understand how this thing is built now. I understand how God's word is designed in a way throughout the narrative of Genesis all the way through Revelation. You should be learning, right? We're not saying don't learn. But what it does is it, qu- it changes the question from do I know this to am I living this? Being a doer of the word, the question changes for me of, do I know the information in here? Do I know the stories? Do I know the principles? Do I know the points in the books? Or am I living this? And the difference between knowing this and living this is an eternal difference. Listen to me. The difference between knowing a lot about the Bible is good but the difference between just knowing it or living it is an eternal difference. So I want to challenge you with this, another principle. Discern the difference then between being doers of the word and doers of the list. Here's what I mean by that. As you pray, as you say, God, I want to be a doer of the word. We all struggle with that. We're all imperfect. We haven't fully, we don't fully all obey, but as we want to grow in those areas, God, give me discernment, what it looks like to be a doer of the word, not just a doer of the list. When I say doer of the list, what I'm referencing is somewhere along the way in Christianity, um, we take God's word, his spirit, uh, how he, the diagnosis that he gives us, and we just turn it into a checklist. So often this happens in our Christian life, so often it happens in religion, Right? In fact, the book of Galatians, which is the book we studied all fall, was a book written to a group of Christians who loved the Lord, followed Jesus, believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then they started adding all these things. Right? They started adding this checklist to what it meant to follow Jesus. They were like, yes, gospel, all in. But also, we need to be at this festival and that festival. We got to eat this kind of food. We got to do this. We got to do that. And they created this checklist. And so the entire book of Galatians is like, guys, How did you drift? How did you turn it into this list? They're not evil things, but they're not the main thing. We do this all the time in our service. We we turn the Christian life into a list as opposed to what it actually is, which is an outflowing of a relationship with the Lord, that we are doers of the word. Um, John 15, which is one of my favorite passages, is usually my go-to always when I think about this challenge to then I'm called to produce. I'm called to bring about fruit in my life for the glory of God. I'm serve and, and all of those things. Where does that fruit come from? Well, John 15, Jesus tells his disciples before he's arrested, 
He's walking, he's walking on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He most likely passes through a vineyard, and he's like, hey, this is it, guys. How you do this, how you bear fruit is you abide in me, right? As a vine is, as a vine is plugged into a branch, as a branch is plugged into a vine, he says, I am the vine, you are the branch. And so if you're a branch and you're supposed to grow grapes, and you're a grape branch, you've got to be plugged into that source, right? That main vine. You're not going to, you're not going to bear any fruit. Your list of good Christian things is not going to produce the fruit that the Christian life is designed to produce. Love and joy and peace. All of the things, right? Patience and goodness and kindness and self-control and all of the things that comes from a life connected to Jesus, connected to the word. Jesus was the word made flesh. and He's given us this and he reigns next to our father, giving account for those who are in Christ and speaks through this and shows us who he is more and more. And so are we connected to this? I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? Vocational ministry. I struggle with this so much. I, I struggle all the time with this idea of, um, man, look at all the things that I'm doing. In ministry. Look at all the things I'm doing for Jesus. And I quickly realized, wait, I'm just doing the list of things I know I'm supposed to do. But I, you know how I know the difference of whether I'm actually abiding and it's coming in a healthy way or coming in a, what will eventually be an unhealthy way? Humility. Or f- for me, it's humility. Because I know if I start to feel this like self-righteousness, like dude, I am doing so much more than Nathan. That guy is so lazy. Don't even get me started on Asher, Right? Um, right, like if I do that, which those guys are studs, and I would never say that. Uh, they work way harder than me. Um, but, um, but right, if, if I live my life in that way, and if I start saying, man, look, I did this, and I did that, and I'm pouring myself out in this way, and gosh, they don't even, nobody, they don't even, nobody respects me around you guys don't even know. Like I can feel that start to brew up, and I know that humility, that lack of humility, that self-righteousness is a result of, oh, I'm not connected. I'm just doing a list. As opposed to what happens when I'm plugged in is there is this genuine humility of, praise God, I get to do this. God, it is my joy. I think about Chick-fil-A drive through workers all the time. And sometimes when they say, it's my pleasure, sometimes they mean it. And sometimes I see their eyes are dead. <laughs> There's death in their eyes. They say it's their pleasure to give me extra Chick-fil-A sauce, but I know they're lying to me. (laughs) You get it, right? You get it. Man, are we just doing the Christian list? And man, if you're doing the Christian list, first of all, praise God, right? Like, you're doing Christian things, so way to go. Like, better than not. So this isn't a, a condemnation on that, but I'm warning you as a brother in Christ, you will get worn out. You will get burned out you will get frustrated in ways that you'll think you've tried it and, and you didn't get what you wanted out of it. You'll look back and say, man, I'm far from the Lord and I'm dry and I'm frustrated. Be quick to discern where you're plugged into. Be quick to see where those actions are coming out of. Um, last one is this, last principle for how, how do we apply this and how do we protect to really go deep as doers of the word is this, stop blaming others for the lack, for your lack of growth, look in the mirror. And this is straight out of James, right? I mean, this is the illustration he uses. He says, hey, your growth, right, you being a doer, your obedience is not based on other people, right? It's based on you, right? The, the illustration is the word of God is revealing a mirror to you. It's not revealing 
It's not revealing a mirror to your accountability partner. Oh man, my accountability partner really let me down and he didn't ask me. But it's not, a, it's not, it's not a, an indictment on those other things. It is, man, is the word of God revealing to you. And so often um, we have taken this word discipleship, right? Discipleship, which we throw around a lot in, in Christian circles and rightfully so. It's an important part of the Christian life. But somewhere along the way, we've turned discipleship into something somebody is supposed to do to me or for me right? I'm supposed to be discipled. And so it's someone's responsibility to make sure that I'm a doer of the world, to make sure that I'm abiding. And yet, really, I don't see that anywhere in scripture, right? It is, it is us. We are the ones who are responsible. Uh, it, it's not, discipleship is not something that somebody does to me, right? Disci- a disciple is who I am. I have to be responsible to say, God, this is an area that I'm off. And then, yes, we use aspects of the body of Christ. We have spiritual leadership. We have accountability and communion, all those things as a means to ultimately just make us the best disciple we can be, follower of Jesus we can be. But so often I don't grow because I'm stuck complaining that my boss, right, who's a good guy, but I, I find at times my heart saying, well, he's not doing this for me, right? Like the pastor who's supposed to be pastoring me isn't doing a good job. So that's why I'm not able. That's why I'm so dry to pour, right? And I do that all the time because my default setting is, well, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to look in the mirror of God's word convicting me. I'm going to look at, well, that's the issue or if this person, or maybe if that would have been a better, you know, sermon or podcast or whatever, then, and, and I, rather than James is pretty clear, look in the mirror, let this reveal in you and then do something about it. There's self-deception there when I pretend that I'm not at the center of how God wants to change me, when I blame other people for me not being the disciple that I want to be. And what's at stake? All of this, if I'm not a doer of the word, what's at stake? What's at stake is honestly missing the essence of the Christian life. No pressure. That's what's at stake, right? Learning a lot and never experiencing God that's what's at stake. I've learned a lot about him, but I've never experienced him or been changed by him or been used by him to, to do great things for his glory. A self-deceived Christian is going to grow weary, right? What James is talking about is going to grow weary. I've walked in ministry for a long time with young adults, and so many of them have said, yeah, I've tried it. I tried the Christian thing. I did the thing but they weren't really connected to the vine. And so their, their doing wasn't actually out of a story. It was, out of, it was after chasing emotion or chasing the list or chasing approval. It wasn't actually sitting in the word, being moved by that and responding from an overflow. And so they said, now nah, I tried that and I got burned out. I'm gonna move on to something else. And that breaks my heart because I think, no, you never actually tried it. You didn't actually submit to the word in a way that changes you. You did the thing, maybe you checked off, maybe you had the quiet time and you did the reading Maybe you were doing stuff, but you weren't drawing nearer and nearer to him, which he has said is his desire for us. Let me give one example. Well, James gives one example of just a glimpse, and we could spend a whole sermon on on these two verses I'm about to read. I won't, though. I just want to read them over you to see, man, if we're doers of the word, look look at how beautiful, look at how extreme, look at how radical and effective it is. Verse 26, coming out of this idea of being a doer who doesn't forget but does, says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthlessness. So so we already see, man, a doer of the word is going to be somebody who's self-controlled, 
right, who's self-controlled. We're going to talk a lot more about bridling the tongue when we get to chapter 3, but it's self-controlled. And then it says, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So, so a doer of the word is going to be somebody who's serving the marginalized, the outsider, those who needed desperate help, sacrificing for them. That's what a doer of the word is, glimpse of what it might look like. And then keeping one unstained, oneself unstained from the world, a doer of the word is going to be somebody who pursuing holiness, right? Who, who radically looks different than the world around them because they're unstained, because they're a doer of the word who's serving and loving and pursuing holiness and pursuing godliness, not because it's the list, not because it's where emotion and passion is found, but because it's what you're designed for. And we have a, we have a God who says, this is who you are. This is the diagnosis. These are the things I've designed you for that you're not functioning in. Walk in these ways. Exercise in this way. Walk these truths out in your life. Be a doer. And all of that is only possible because of the gospel. You are not good enough to walk out of this sermon and be like, okay, I'm gonna be more motivated if you have yet to surrender your life to Christ. If the Holy Spirit is not living in you, which happens when we acknowledge the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we had the word made flesh, the perfect doer of the word. The, the word incarnate, who then walked the earth, lived the life you were supposed to live, holiness, died, took my sin and your sin, and rose again. And for those who believe that, and those who put their trust in that Savior, that King, our Savior, are His, are connected to a vine that we can, we can squeeze, and we can suffocate, and we can start to dry up, but He will never leave us and forsake us. That's the gospel, which makes all of this walking out the Christian life possible. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. Thank you for how you love us, God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us your spirit to understand for those who are in Christ. Um, thank you that you've given us your word to, to diagnose, to be a mirror that holds up in front of our face to say, Lord, would you show us, would you be so kind and so gracious to reveal the areas of obedience that you desire for us to walk out for your glory, God. Would we not just be better followers of the list, but instead would we be true doers of your word, responding from a deep relationship. And God, as we even pray now, Lord, and as we, as we worship here in a second, God, would our prayers be genuine as we sing, it would be less of you and more of us. That is our desire, God. It wouldn't just be a lyric that we're repeating or reading off a wall, but instead that would truly be a prayer, less of us, more of you, that that would be what shapes our life, that being a doer of the word means we look more and more and more like you and your holiness, not so people think we're great, but so people know our God and worship you. For your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen.